Hello, Chili Dog Strings podcast listeners. Today we have a very special guest. All of our guests are special. We really enjoy this particular friend, though. His name is Jordan Hamilton. Hey, Jordan! Hey, hey. What up, Jordan? Um, he's a friend of ours who is a wonderful cellist. We met him through Christian Howe's um, Creative Strings Workshop in Columbus, Ohio, and became fast friends mm-hmm. and decided that we would like to host him at our home studio so he could work with our students. And he's been here the better part of a week and it's just been a fabulous time. Yeah. Yeah. Really eye-opening, full of great conversation and um, very insightful teaching. And so we wanted to bring you on to just have a conversation. Cool. Thanks yeah, for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, Jordan, we share a, an Ohio-Michigan connection yes. from where we went to school, yes. right? Well, we went to different schools, but yep. we were in the same state, city yep. sometimes too. Yep. So in Cleveland, you know, I went to the Cleveland Institute of Music and like just down the street, close to the airport in Berea, yep. there's Baldwin Wallace. Yep. has like, as far as I know, um, just an incredibly rich history uh, or roots in um, music education. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. So uh, I even taught at their summer camp oh, like yeah. a few years, which is yeah. like pretty fun. Oh, wow. Yeah, we had a great time. So, um, so Lauren Joss. Yes. Yeah, yeah Lauren yeah. Joss. Yeah. 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 So she's over that way. And uh, I don't know. So there's that. And then in Michigan, I was based over in Ann Arbor and you have been how long have you been in Michigan and where have you been living and what have you been doing there yeah so just uh an hour and a half west of Ann Arbor I've been living in Kalamazoo Michigan going to school uh for my master's in performance diploma at Western Michigan University very cool so I've just been spending some years studying uh and some years not studying out of school Hmm. and during that time I sort of took the time to um Teach. I took the time to work with different music groups around the area. Uh, there's a band that I play with a lot called The Last Gasp Collective. Um, and then sort of find my sound that I would like to use to express myself um, in the most fulfilling way. That is so cool. Now, if I know, if I have heard your conversations where you've been booking gigs, um, correctly, are you touring like around the world? There's a few places I've played outside of the U.S. Yeah, where? <laughs> where? That is so cool. Um, there's a place I've been playing in uh, France. I've played in Germany. Uh, this year I'll be playing in Kenya. Um, hopefully I'll be able to get some more gigs in Germany, in France, and looking to go to Iraq, fingers crossed, one day. So Incredible. Yeah, and I would love to get to South America as well. But I haven't performed there yet. Gotcha. Yeah. Is there a special significance for you uh, playing gigs in any of those places other than you happen to be giving a show there? Um, I wouldn't say any special significance um, besides being able to play for people that have a different upbringing and a different culture and to see how your music sort of interacts with them and then to learn about how they see music and how they see life. I think that's just something I've been very interested in since being young. So being able to play and just see how they react and Mm. to get that response um, from their music, I think that is what's significant about it for me. So So like that human experience of sharing stories. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, sharing and hearing stories. Yeah. 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 So that's been it for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you grew up a Suzuki kid. I did. When did you start? What did that look like? What was it like for you? I was eight years old and the story goes, um, I was presented with the four different string instruments by my uh, elementary school teacher who played the violin and the viola and the cello and the bass and how they 
explain the story is I heard the cello and I stood up and started running across the classroom saying that I'm going to play the cello. I'm going to play the cello. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's that's that. And then it was just a steady journey of one thing after another, keeping my engagement. And it stuck with me until now. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, do you find that studying classically... Do you find that there was one moment where you can pinpoint, like, ding, oh, I want to play other styles of music on my cello? Or was it more of, like, a, a subtle thing in the periphery that eventually kind of melded together? How was that yeah, for you? I would say it's a little bit of both. Mm. Some of it was me. Um, it was definitely this thing that was slowly brewing over time to sort of... I was gaining more interest in things outside of classical or I already had that interest that was outside of classical and I was starting to gain understanding that I could play. I was allowed to play things on my cello other than classical. So I, that was being slowly brewed over the years. Mm. But then there was a moment um, after I graduated from undergrad where I was like, you know, I'm really going to try and do something other than classical. And actually allow myself to do it so I do remember that moment where I made that decision mm. but the inspiration was a slow brew and it still has been a slow brew when you just started out with that as a kid what kind of stuff were you playing um you know I remember <laughs> like with, on cello yeah um I don't know what I was playing when I was a kid I think sometimes I would just play random notes uh, I remember specifically in high school uh, there were some cover songs that I was doing with like Apocalyptica was a big inspiration to sort of be like, yo, you can do this. And then I had friends bring sheet music and then we yeah. would play that. Mm. And then I remember there was a program that I went to in um, in D.C. at the Kennedy Center called the National Youth, wait, Youth Fellowship Program. Uh, it's with the NSO, the National Symphony Orchestra. Mm. And we would sort of get together and before our juries because we had to play juries for all these people in this orchestra, all this really hard rep. And we would joke around, like, you know, because everybody would be so serious. It's such an intense program. Um, like, you can fail and they'll kick you out. So we're like, oh, man, we've been playing these pieces for months, and then we all finally get to be in the same room with our instruments. Uh, and we all liked each other a lot, so we just jammed around with our instruments. And this was in high school. Because we'd be like, okay, do you remember that Metallica thing? It's like, yeah, I kind of remember that. And we'd try and piece it together by ear. And then we would fail epically, but then it would be so much fun. We'll continue to do stuff like that. And I remember that was a good experience for me. Um, just being like, oh, man, we can all just play whatever we want. Um, and then I would do that stuff at home as well. I wonder what I did when I was a kid, though. I have horrible memory, but I assume I did some stuff like that. Just playing around weird stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it's been really great talking to you this week about teaching ideas. Yeah. And kind of like doing some critical thinking and really examining closely why we study the music that we study and why we teach the music that we teach. Yeah. And um, I really love the ideas that you shared about finding ways to really be relevant to the students that you're teaching mm -hmm. and ha help them understand that the music that they're learning isn't doesn't have to be this far off lofty goal of you know something that's behind glass it can be something that they enjoy in the here and now and that they have access to if they'll let themselves mm -hmm. right and so um i don't know i'd love to hear you talk about that some yeah um so i'm a firm believer in doing what you love um and i think doing what you love breeds the best type of learning like when I would play soccer, you know, I loved playing soccer. I loved being outside. 
and, you know, when you had to play a different position, you didn't know the nuances of it. If you were having fun, you learned that position quicker than you did another position. Mm. Like goalie, I never became a good goalie because I didn't like playing goalie. I liked running around like a mad dog. And so midfielder became a very quick uh, learning experience for me. Mm. I knew how to read the players. I knew how to attack, when to fall back. Um, and I think it's probably the same for any type of subject. When you really enjoy it, you're going to learn it quickly. Mm. Um, and you're going to learn it in a more genuine way as well. So I think that um, as a teacher, I would like to create the best learning experience for my students as possible. So if I'm going to nurture that, I really have to be in tune with the things that they love and then try and undertake my experiences and show them where their things that they love align with how they can learn how to play this instrument or this subject better. Mm. So I think that's my goal as a teacher is to sort of connect those worlds. And when you say the things you love, you're not just talking, the things they love, you're not just talking about music. You're talking about everything? Everything I'm yeah. talking about, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about everything. Because, I mean, so much of music is just um, telling stories about things outside of music, you know? Rarely are all songs, I mean, there are many songs that sort of talk about, you know, I'm the best at my craft, you know, I do this. Or, like, you know, music is my one and only love. But a lot of the other times it's talking about daily experiences. Um, so... That's why I like to understand what they like to do outside of music as well, because then it could bridge like, okay, man, music can just make this experience much more enjoyable, or maybe I can actually finally communicate how I felt about this thing outside of music through music. Mm. So making those connections as early as possible gives them uh, the pathway to sort of understand the, the meaning and the their personal meaning of what music is. So let's say there's a student who has a task in front of them to to learn a new skill or technique, mm -hmm. and they're really not enjoying it. Mm. Do you feel like there's an, a way to present or craft that skill or technique, any skill or technique, in a way that's enjoyable for students? Yeah, sometimes. And what does it take? Yeah, I don't know. Or do you think, or do yeah. you think there are just sometimes where you gotta suck it up, Buttercup, and pull up those bootstraps and just muscle through it? Yeah, I think there's probably times for all of it. There's <laughs> <laughs> just times for all of it. You know, like I, I'm willing to assume that's more so the case than you know this is the right way, the wrong way, um, because sometimes you just may not want to learn this because this is not the thing for you. This is just not what you're supposed to be doing. And that might be the lesson that you need to be like, all right, I'm done. Um, sometimes it may be that you just need to find another way to look at it. Mm. And that may be the lesson that you need to learn, a lesson of perspective. Mm. Um, sometimes it could be hmm, just something that you need to learn how to be confident in like it maybe it was too much you seem you seem for it to be a task that's too great for your skill level and you need to learn that self-confidence of being like no i can do this and then suck it up and just mm -hmm. go for it mm -hmm. or you need to learn discipline but it's, it varies so much so to understand your emotional um your emotional makeup will help you navigate those things clearly which is why I also really love to understand and make aware what the kids are, are feeling and what they're, they love because then they understand what, how they're feeling then they can navigate through uh, the different lessons that they're going to have to learn in life later on and in music out and outside of music so it makes me think of how every lesson I saw you teaching you would take time to find out or to ask and explore what students liked about playing their instrument yeah. and what they liked about their music. Yeah. Why do you play cello? Why do you do that? Yeah. Why is that? Mm -hmm. And it was so funny seeing with some of them when, you know, you'd say, why do you like cello? 
oh, I like to make a great sound. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you like about that? And then seeing some of them, it was as if that was the first time they've ever had to really think about it. Yeah. What do you like about making a good, good sound? Oh, what do you like about playing fun music? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And then getting to the root of that stuff about why they do it and taking action on that. Yeah. And letting the lesson come from that. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. I think every student that came to have a lesson with you this week came out extremely satisfied. Sometimes when we have guest artists, I think maybe it's that way because there's a novelty to what the guest artist is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really what I got the sense of from this time around with you was that there was a satisfaction like like they really they discovered something. Mm. Each one. Each yeah. one has its own journey and, in a different direction. And yeah. that was super cool to see. Like that's you showed them something without having to tell them anything. Yeah. And I think that's the mark of a terrific teacher. Yeah. That really excited me a lot and I learned something really big from that. Wow. So um just, you know, to give you props on that. And I think, you know, it makes me wonder um, if you have any insight into this next question, which is like, you know, there are teachers out there who are kind of of the school of thought that, you know, it's like, I have this information to present and this child needs to come here ready to learn what I have to say. Yep. Right? There's yep. lots of that. Yep. I mean, I'm like that sometimes. Yep. And so it's extremely humbling to see a child being guided through a lesson with tons of questions and then you bring in the knowledge or skill that you have to support whatever it is you see that they're discovering. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Is there, have you in your time teaching discovered a point where, kind of like that saying, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Is there a shifting point that you've seen in your dynamic with your students where they start to take on some of the responsibility of guiding themselves through that. Like, how have you seen that develop and snowball in, you know, in the time that you've had with your students, if at yeah. all? You know, I don't know. But um, So a lot of the students that I have, I try and get that, that mentality from day one, you know, just be like, yo, I could show you the thousands of things and all these different techniques, but like, I'd rather you sort of figure out why it's important to learn these things and then ask me what specific technique you need in order to do it. I've seen in my students at home, um, sadly, I mean, to be honest, I haven't had students for very long, for like years and years because I'm always going somewhere and then the relationship just can't continue over my schedule. Yeah. But, um... I've seen certain students sort of take on a genuine interest in like, man, I, how can I learn this and learn a pathway to this? And then they apply it to other things in their life. Um, I think that it breeds an understanding of, like I've seen people come and express to me, like, yo, that lesson didn't do anything for me and I need this from you. And I'm like, yo whoa that's pretty cool you know like i'm i appreciate that my students um that i've had for a little while have this autonomy of like yo this is what i need from from you and sometimes it's like oh shoot (laughs) 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 oh shoot uh like i really have to not project what I think this student needs and I have to just let them go and that is scary for me sometimes Mm. because it's like oh man I think you need this I think you need this I think you need this and they're like no it's not what I want and with a great like with that is very respectful too like they're not like I don't think you should tell me what to do it's more so like yeah I could do that but I really want to try it this way and I I respect that. Um, so that's what I've seen. That is super interesting. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, I feel like as I kind of regard us as, you know, we're experts of our craft or working toward that expertise, mm-hmm. right? And so having students who say, 
well, I know that's what you want me to do, but I would rather do it like this. For me, when I hear that, I'm like, I know you think that's how it should go. Mm-hmm. But it does But it's not how it should go. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and I, I think that what you're saying is valid. I think maybe there's a balance somewhere in there because I think sometimes students just don't know better. Really? Some, sometimes. I mean, it, These are facts, though. It, are... I think you got to tailor it to an individualistic level, like whatever the situation is, yeah. right? Like, I think it depends on what it is, though. If the student is saying, this is what I need from you... <laughs> But I mean, I mean, haven't we all have this yeah, student there's, there's where it's difference. like, this yeah. is what you're going to learn, right. and they're like, I have a better idea. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's a difference between I that. Like no, 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 no. This is what feels good to me. Yeah, no, there's differences. There's differences, and you know, in my group classes, I teach a lot of group classes. You know, so the private lessons like I've done here, this is like a luxury because, like, man, I could spend so much time honing into one student. Mm-hmm. You know, my group classes, they'll probably be like, wait, who is this dude? You know, because in those, you have to be much more like rigid in the, the, the information that you're giving everybody because mm-hmm. you have to give them the same information. But so they get these lessons over a longer period of time and not in just a you have to give the lessons of, like, you can choose how to do your things um, over, like, the period of, like, three months versus in the private lesson, you can do that in maybe three lessons. You right. Know, you can get so uh, in-depth with what you're learning. Mm. So I think with group lessons, I'm a little more rigid and, like, no, we can't jump around and try to figure this thing out. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> a little bit more strict because the classroom management needs that. Um, but yeah, I still try and breathe. I ask a lot of questions, um, as long as it doesn't breed away from the focus of the class. Uh, I give them many choices so they can understand, oh, I actually didn't enjoy this and I was just doing this because you said this. And it's like, I really try and tune into how they're feeling still. And I think that just breeds up more understanding and more respect for why they enjoy the instrument or why they don't enjoy the instrument Mm -hmm. so on top of that i think when i saw you in the group you did a really good job of inviting them to join in on little things Mm -hmm. as you were starting like a performance would blend a little bit with having them have something to do with you that came up this week that I think would be great to talk about here uh, was your mention of perfectionism paralysis. Oh, man. And a lot of what I saw you teaching in private and group classes was addressing the, the fear or aversion to playing wrong notes or playing with an ugly sound. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's a conversation that I think in the creative playing world happens a lot. Because mm-hmm. most of us are terrified of producing anything that could be rejected, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, what did you experience in teaching our students, which I would say it's safe to say for the listeners, like, I think our students are uh, a pretty decent representation of students everywhere, you know? So I think it would apply, you know, on a larger scale, not just picking on our particular students. But what was your experience in teaching our students and what did you see with the perfectionism and and what do you think is important to surround this subject matter with in conversation? What are the things that we could be talking to our students about and their parents about that mm-hmm. would that would open some of this up and maybe make things move in a productive way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the the main point is that, you know, these descriptors of good and bad 
are not as concrete as we we make them out to be, <laughs> um, and they're not as um, dependent on us being accepted or us being um, enjoying ourselves and us liking ourselves. I think that to be a good musician comes in many forms. You know, we have our standard of uh, people that can play notes all in tune with a great tone. And in classical music, that is sort of what the focus is when we're young. If you can play in tune with a great tone and you can somehow be expressive in that, then you're a good musician. And then you have other musicians where it's like, well, if you can create um, rhymes that sort of tell a story, that have great rhythms, and you're using your, your vocals in a way that produces a good tone, um, that's a good musician. Or you have some people that's like, if you can improvise over this one chord and not play um, a note outside of the chord, unless it's used to tell a part of the story, that's what's good. And so, like, the focus is different for every different genre or for many different walks of life. And we have to understand that good and bad is always in context. And when we're in this context of, like, what is good or bad, right, let's say uh, we have classical music, right, with a lot of these students are studying classical music in Suzuki. Some of them may play with a bad tone, right, and they don't know what a bad tone is. They're just like, well, my teacher said it was bad, so it's bad. They don't know what's good. Um, well, they know it's good because their teacher said it was good. And if they don't continue to play with a bad tone intentionally, then how can they really understand what is good for them? And they really understand, like, okay, this is why I think this is good. Not because my teacher said it's good, but because I have heard the many bad sounds that I can make. Um, <laughs> and now I hear what I would desire. I hear what I desire to play. So I think that many times we don't want to play anything that is bad. So we try and stay what's in what's good. And I think that that is inherently sometimes a bad thing because we don't know what we... Like until we try to play something bad and, and have understood our discomfort, we don't know what we want to go for. Mm. So to avoid bad things, is necess it may be causing more harm than good. So to become comfortable in the bad may be just as good as only playing good things. So maybe packaged another way, in the context of learning, mm -hmm. discovery, artistry, mm -hmm. what really works is to explore what is completely on the palette of sounds. Exactly. That way you can be as intentional as possible in producing what you want to produce. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, like, yeah. Because so much of our conversation that I've taken away has this week has been about being intentional mm -hmm. in all mm -hmm. areas and walks of life. Mm -hmm. Being intentional about what you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. And how can you do that if you don't educate yourself or if mm -hmm. you don't if you don't explore mm -hmm. or, you know, just find the edges of what you see to be possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Push your boundaries so that you can understand which boundaries you want. Sure. To have in your life. And our boundaries of good and bad are not so concrete as what we make them out to be. That's so great. Cause I think a lot of people, when they, when they hear creative string players specifically address like ugly sounds mm -hmm. and, and, you see the person presenting the idea that that ugly sounds don't have to be bad. Mm -hmm. I think I think some people think that's kind of bogus, mm -hmm. and it causes them to write off whatever about creative string playing because they're like, you can tell me all day until you're blue in the face mm -hmm. that that's not an ugly sound, but I think it's ugly. Mm -hmm. So I really love the way that you lay that out and explain that because that it's it's like in order to it's why I tell my students a lot like in order to really have something or know truly what it is, you also really need to understand what it is not. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's the front of the hand, back of the hand kind Ex- of a thing. Exactly. Right? You can't have one without the other. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Super so cool. to get over perfection paralysis, I think that um, you have to understand the context of what good and bad is because mm. I think we get this paralysis because we need to understand. We want to play it right. We want to play it good. Mm. It needs to be the most killing solo. It needs to be the best song that's ever been <laughs> written the first time that you play it every single time. Otherwise, you're a failure. And it's mm. like, well, you know, like Prince has thousands of songs locked up in his vault for a reason you know because they're turning out 30 songs and only one of them is what you heard you know so it's like to find out what was good you have to play the things that aren't maybe so good Mm. and that is what that's the process that is what it is and it's it's foolish for us to think that um the first time a baby is going to walk or the first time a baby learns to walk, they're going to get it on the first try. Like, they'll just get up and start walking. They're not going to fall. They're not going to um, maybe step on the wrong foot. They're going to walk with swag already. They're going to be able to, you know. It's foolish for us to think that way, so why would we do it for ourselves? Yeah. You know, and it happens every single time. But it's that expectation of trying to be perfect or trying to be good that keeps us from having that type of playful attitude that a baby has when it's trying to walk, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great metaphor. I think, well, rather than I think, what are some of the things, what are the conversations that parents could be opening with their kids to talk about this kind of stuff? Um... I think listening to your kids for sure um but like not listening to like okay you're just talking now i'm listening to what you're saying but like listen to them and then ask some questions like questions that sort of shake them and then listen to how they're gonna <laughs> respond to that you know do they shut down do they run away from the question and that so you're listening to that you're listening to how they're responding you're listening to what they're saying and the words that they're not saying and then challenging challenging them with that not so much challenging like oh man do you really know what you want but like man what are you really saying and do you know mm. what you're really saying mm. so teaching them how to listen mm. by you listening to them and it's not so much so you can judge them but it's like okay what do you really by i think by having someone open you up Book-wise, it helps you learn more about yourself because then maybe I've never had to confront these things. But you can see them easier because it's easier to listen to yourself and understand how you sound when you record yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that. but um, we don't have that ability to record ourselves unless we're really great listeners. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes we don't practice that. I don't think the way that we grow up in this culture... Um, challenges us to listen to how we actually feel and what we actually want even though you know we're supposed to be going for our dreams and for the things that we like i think those things are projected on us and we choose certain dreams that are in that good pathway um so i think parents listening um if they can listen themselves trying to really understand their kids is a great way to start um i think talking to your kids about things that you love things that you don't love why you love them I think that is also a thing Um, because I think that kids look up and study their parents a lot and so they can understand something deeper about their parents helps them understand the sort of nuances of what uh, to be human is and then they can apply that to themselves. It helps them get like a little textbook into what it's like to have a relation with themselves or others. I love that. So in giving them access to, you know, making yourself known as their parent. Yeah. Then they have the opportunity to make themselves known to you and to others in the world. Yep. Yeah. And for a parent to recognize their perfection paralysis and show that to Ooh. their kids. Man, that'd be big. 
Yeah, I had to be big. You know, sometimes um, I just tell my students of certain things, like how I feel. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm telling you about perfection paralysis, but you know, just last week I wasn't, I haven't shown this piece because X, Y, and Z. You know, just being open about that and like, sure. you're not different, or you are different, but you're not different at the same time. You're right there and we're all yeah. struggling with this. Shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Now, how can we help each other? Yeah. You know, what do you have that's to offer to this situation that can help me get through this? Mm-hmm. And I'll offer what you have. I'll offer something that I have. What does a student offer? I, uh, I mean, depends on the student. Depends on the student. You know what I think students offer? It's really just people in general, right? Mm-hmm. But what students offer is different versions of the same mirror. Because anytime, yeah, anytime something comes up and you're like, here's something I need to address, whether it's a problem or here's something I need to shape or create or mold or guide, there's always something that gets brought up for you about yourself. And through that, you can discover something new while you're walking down this pathway with whoever's there with you. Yeah. You know? It's just like, I mean, one of the greatest lessons I learned last year was anytime you find yourself getting irritated or annoyed with someone, you can be like, they are so horrible, blah, 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 blah. Oh my gosh, I can think of a couple examples of that last year, you know? And then, you know, I, I was sharing this with someone that I trust very much to guide me and how mm-hmm. I think. And they were like, consider that all of the world is a mirror. And I thought about it and I was like, that thing that is driving me crazy about this person, it's because I have something of that in me that, you're trying to- that I am trying to push down and get out and not acknowledge and, you know, avoid, protect, defend, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, so with kids, I think what's super cool is they're still developing. So there's, there's kind of, um, a humility and an openness and, uh, you let down your guard when, or I let down my guard when I'm with kids Mm -hmm. because it lets me be my innermost self usually. Mm -hmm. And so then, I don't know, in some ways it's just easier to guide and develop and go together, you know, um, I agree. It's like a purer form of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, things are less fixed because you can more easily acknowledge that they're still developing. Correct. Yeah. I think so. Mm. That's how I... Yeah. 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 Because... I mean... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I love about teaching. Yeah. You know, that's what's so cool about it. That sounds sounds very self-serving. Yeah, but but I mean, there's all there's a self-serving attribute in everything that we do. True, that is true. Even if it's helping others. Yeah. Mm. I have a question I've been dying to ask you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Relating to like parents and, and kids, when we were teaching a workshop in Austin last month, a parent asked me. How do you keep this going at home? Like, it's one thing for somebody to come in and give a presentation on, on, you know, playing outside the box. What would you recommend for a kid in that situation? You get exposed to this, and then you're back in normal life. Mm -hmm. You love it. How do you keep it going? So if you love to do something. Yeah, like, um, let's say... We let's say if we only taught classical music in our lessons, and mm-hmm. you came to our studio and did your thing, mm-hmm. and we had students who loved it. Mm-hmm. What can what can the student and the and the parent and maybe even the teacher do to keep that love growing beyond what they're playing in their book? I would say. Um, and or where do they start? Where do they start that journey? I always go, you know, to feelings. I always go to feelings. Uh, so, how did you feel during that lesson? Okay, it's important to recognize that. Like talking to the kid, like the parent talking to the kid. About sure, the parent could yeah. do it. The kid yeah. could do it. Whoever wants to do it, gotcha. they have to gotcha. eventually be like, okay, how did I feel? What makes me feel that way? 
and how can I can I recreate that feeling right now? So then you start to think or you start to feel, okay, I'm feeling this way right now. Try to recreate that feeling in that moment. All right, I feel this way, I feel this way, I feel this way. That's how I felt, okay. Make myself feel that way right now. I'm doing it, okay. And then whatever you decide, like whatever activity that you did, you start doing that activity and you try and find that feeling. It's like, okay, I feel this way. Or you just... So that thing of like faking it till you make it or something like that, you know, you'd be like, okay, well, I feel this way. I'm going to make myself feel this way. You do that activity and then you try and just put more and more energy behind feeling that way or more actions that make you feel this way. Because you know what that feeling is, then you can easily decide, okay, that makes me feel this way and this doesn't. So you can continue just to go on that path and let yourself teach yourself. Because who's to say that that one thing that you did uh, at the lesson was the actual thing that made you feel the way that you did that made you want to continue? What if it was something else? Maybe you just hadn't felt that feeling before and it's not going to be recreated the next time you do it. Um, And you don't know that until you... I think we want to do this because we feel a certain way. We like that. So chase that feeling. Yeah. And that is can only be taught by yourself. So it's only something that's like, how could you not do it at home? It's basically the thing. Yeah. That you can't do it anywhere else. It starts from you. So maybe when a guest comes in and plays something with a looper, and the kid sees that and says, oh, I had so much fun playing with a looper, you're saying it might not be about the looper. Yeah. It's about what they were feeling when they were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That new thing that they got. Yeah. Right? Or that, man, I saw that piece of technology. I love technology. Or, like, it's sort of taking pieces and, okay, well, let's see if it was the looper. And then playing with that. Then that feeling is gone now. Okay, what was it then? Oh, well, I really liked playing with this computer, too. This computer mm-hmm. is great, man. I love that. Oh, and then that goes away. Oh, well, you know, I started learning this new language. Man, I love that. That was great. So maybe it's just that you like learning new things. Or maybe it's that you like learning new languages or different languages. Um, Who knows? Until you start to really challenge yourself to really focus on that feeling that you love so much. Um, You won't find it. So you have to, almost like you have to do it at home. What are your like all-time favorite things to listen to that have like changed your life? And then what's in your listening list currently that you would recommend? Uh, You know, the two different camps, kind of. Yeah, I've heard many things that have changed my life, you know. Um, Some of the first things that changed my life were the things that my parents were listening to. Um, For some reason, I have a distinct... uh, memory of hearing Watermelon Man at the circus mm. by Herbie Hancock and that is just ingrained in my memory just huh. like every time I hear that song I go back to the circus and it's the wow. coolest thing like that I remember that being and I thought it was Bobby McFerrin I thought that song was Bobby McFerrin until, like, later in life when I started listening to Herbie Hancock and I heard this song that I didn't hear. Like, I haven't heard this song ever in that period of time. And I, but the memory of that song was still in my head. Wow. And so it's always been this song just like, man, well, I love that song. That song makes me feel so good. I wish I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And I listened to Bobby McFerrin. The whole thing trying to find that song is like, nope, it's not Bobby McFerrin. And somebody played Watermelon Man, and I was like, this is the song. <laughs> and I just lost my. Wait, was, how old were you when you heard it again like that? I was 22. Wow. What? Wow. So not that long ago. No. No. Crazy. And it took me that long to get into Herbie Hancock and Watermelon mm-hmm. Man. Even though, you know, many people around me listened to him, I still didn't listen to it. Found that song. Wow. So I remember that being a distinct memory in my head. And um, I don't know, that made me feel like music could be a little bit different. 
because you know all this there's a lot of other music going on at that point and that one music could be a little bit different and i could still love it you mm. know i think i may have heard that when i was like seven or eight or something like that mm. um and it to associate it with that memory so that sort of changed my life because going through those years I was like man i remember that song so clearly and i don't remember what it was like it's just the sound that sort of stuck with me so that made me think about what music, one of the functions of music were and is um, in my life. Um, in terms of like other songs, you know, there's, I had this teacher who um, sort of, who showed me the instrument and she brought me through uh, elementary school and middle school. And there was this song that she loved uh, like my sixth or seventh grade year called A Shokin' Farewell. Um, she loved this song right and, you know I'm just this kid in middle school just okay I'll play it no, I don't even really care um, I also acted out a lot in middle school and you know I was acting out in this one particular class you know and uh, she not having it, she called my mom. She kicked me out of the class. Blah blah blah. blah. It's the end. Rap. And I had done this a lot, so this was okay. We're cool. And then you know, next day she didn't come into school, and I was like, yes, I'm fine. You know, we had a substitute teacher. We're good. Next day happened. She didn't come into school. Yes, she's not here. No, I'm sick of her. Right. Oh, but tomorrow's Friday. I know she's gonna be back before Friday. Gosh. Next day she wasn't there. And on the Monday, I was woken up early saying that she had died from a brain tumor. And this Ashokan Farewell song was like her favorite song that she was teaching us. And it was a song that sort of stuck in my memory of like, this is what she was. It's always been that. And then we played it at her funeral. Mm. It's just interesting. Ashokan Farewell. And this was our farewell song to her. And that sort of changed my life because that sort of made me understand like how this thing can pack such a heavy feeling and that song will always represent that for me it's like a shogun farewell and she, we had a great relate we had a good relationship yeah. like she always wanted me to play cello and play it well and she challenged me but you know i was a knucklehead so <laughs> it was like that mom thing you know but that song always captures that memory that emotional connection that we had and um it's every time I hear it, I'm like, yo, it's Thomas is right here. And I do think that that's one of the big reasons I teach as well. Mm. Um, so that changed my life. Um, Bobby McFerrin clearly changed my life. Um, there's another record that I heard. Oh, you know, the Bates, the Brahms symphonies. Oh, my gosh. Those changed my life, man. That was when I was like, I'm going to be a conductor and I'm going to be in an orchestra. I love those pieces. The Elgar Cello Concerto changed my life. Jacqueline Dupre, gosh, yeah. gosh. Real, like, right? what? That was like, <laughs> man, the cello can just do whatever you want it to. Like, she just made it seem like, yeah, I'm not playing the cello. I'm, this is a part of me. You know, like, that is when I sort of understood the cello is an expression of yourself, not this piece of wood that we play, you yeah. know? That changed my, my life. Um, the record by Leanne Le Havis, that changed my life. There's this, uh, I forget the name, actually. Wait, is your love big enough? I think that may be the name of the album. I don't even know the name of the album, and it changed my life. But there's a bunch of songs on there that I absolutely love. So much soul. Just her and the guitar. Her voice and the guitar. And it's some of the most beautiful music I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, changed my life. There's many, there's so many different, a wide range of things that have impacted my musicianship um Stephen Brown gosh <laughs> Kevin O'Lucy also changed my daggone life you know this is in high school mm-hmm. um but then records I'm listening to now that I, I really love um there's an artist named Odyssey that I have to give credit to because maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago I was only listening to his music and uh, uh The Good Fight that's a great album it's an amazing album. So that's more current. Um, another album that Asa, uh, that was a great album. Uh, her name's spelled A-S-A. Uh, she is, I think she's from, she lives in the UK now. 
But her music is so different. Like, it's so different, but it still rocks, you know? And I like these people that ride in the line of, like, being quirky, but also being very cool. And it's like, you don't have to fit in some pop label or you don't have to fit in some completely off-the-wall thing, but it's just you. It's like, it's a lot of different things. Um, No Name, I've been listening. I listened to her a little while ago. That was, like, the album for me. Um, Felix is my current addiction, and I'm a... Yeah, I can feel myself just getting sucked in and sucked in more, and it's getting really bad. Like, it's going into an odyssey phase. Like, Felix is this producer from Chicago that... His music is everywhere. And I, again, like, I love artists. His music is just, like, everywhere. So, Felix, I could talk on and on about my influence. So many people I love. I've been listening to the Sedan Archives, too. She's mm. great. Yeah, she is. Sedan Archives. Um, oh, man, there's so many albums. I know I'm forgetting so many albums. But, yeah, those are some things that stuck in my mind right now. That's awesome. Yeah. The short version of your influences. That's a very, that is a very short list. When you consume music, like the things that really get you excited where you're just like, I'm latching onto this. Yeah. This is going to be my jam for a while. Yeah. What can you describe what that's like? (laughs) Uh, uh, it feels like. I don't know what it's like to experience zero gravity and then get pulled into gravity, but I imagine that's what it's like. Also, because I don't comb through a lot of music. I don't I don't consider myself as someone who can comb through music. I know a few people who just listen to everything. And I'm like, how do you have time to listen to all of this stuff? Like, I can't. Like, I can't even. I could barely get past this one artist. Like, How could you listen to more? Oh. Um, but... So for me, I still try and listen to as much as possible. But like when I hear an artist and I, it really clicks, like I just it's like a slow burn. Yeah, and yeah. Then it's a slow burn, and then it's like this. Uh-huh. Now, now you got me. I just can't <laughs> listen to anything else. And it's just for me, I love to listen to a track over and over again and just really understand the nuances of it. That's kind of where I get my. But that's like the. I've always been that way. Mm. It's kind of how I learned how to play cello. Mm. You know, um, I listen to something. I listen to every small little detail. You got that, listeners? Yeah. Listening. Yeah. Listening. To every detail. The smallest Students of details. Listen. The smallest of details. <laughs> so that's kind of how I do it. Others may have something else, but like when I hear something I love, like. I can't listen to anything else. I just can't. And I don't even have to be actively trying to recreate it in my head. I just sometimes, it just, I listen to it in passing. And that's that. So, it's kind of what I do. It's awesome. Um, you know, just thinking about students listening to this. I, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to your Suzuki experience a little bit. Yeah. Your experience as a Suzuki kid. Yeah. What, you know, in, in reflection, what do you feel like you got out of being a Suzuki kid? And I'm talking on many levels. So like your relationship to your cello, your relationship to classical music, your relationship to, um, your parents. Mm Mm-hmm. Being a human being, like character development, just as much as musical development. I'm interested in hearing from you. Yeah, that would be an interesting question for my mom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I uh, think that Suzuki nurtured my my ear, so I assume that you know some type, some level of um, my ear was developed before Suzuki, but. You know, Suzuki allowed me to strengthen that muscle, um, which is great. I think that's a great thing. And I remember my mom was very active in my Suzuki training. So I imagine that, you know, me building a relationship with my mom was heightened, you know, from those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to like, uh, uh, going to a Suzuki camp with my mom. 
and uh, it was just her and I. And I didn't want to be around her at all. You know, I just wanted to be out there. But we were in a strange land, and she didn't feel comfortable and just letting her little eight-year-old boy run around in strange land by herself. <laughs> so I was around my mom, and it was cool. Like, I can imagine that those things, like sleeping in the same room and in a different place, you know, those things did something for my psychology. And um, her listening to me and be like, you need to play that again because that didn't sound like the recording like your teacher said. And I'm just like, ah, don't listen to me. I'm doing the wrong thing. I do it the way I want to do it. Ah. <laughs> you know, I imagine that sort of created some relationship of like um, holding yourself accountable and like, <laughs> you know, maybe I was a little smart Alec, being like, I know what I'm doing, but then you really don't know what you're doing, but then now you're, as a kid, you're like, no, I really do have to know what I'm doing now, because if I'm going to say this, I have to have some type of, <laughs> like, I know she's listening, so, <laughs> so I really have to hold myself accountable now. <laughs> um, so I think that that sort of breeds some type of self-autonomy, understanding what you want. I think Suzuki did that. Um, I think Suzuki gives you a, a good platform of, like, expressing yourself through a song right off the bat you know it gives you this song and then tells you how to play it and then there's usually different emotions that you can feel or hear in the music and that allows you to put your pain of having to do homework inside of this song or something you know so i think that is a great it's a it's an immediate expression for the kids for me it was um for me, it also bred some sense of competitiveness with the other kids, but I was competitive. Like, it just allowed me to, like, I would see other kids that were doing it, and I would listen to them and be like, I could do it better. But I couldn't <laughs> do it better. I was not, I just couldn't. These kids are so good. And I was just like, oh, but I got so frustrated with myself because I couldn't do it better. But then that made me go home and practice. So it aided my, my competitive bone. But also, I got that out in other things in life as well. Yeah. So, so that's those are some of the few things Suzuki did. But yeah, does did a lot. I think I would assume so. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. It's like I know it's been the better part of a week. It feels like it's gone by like that. I know. And you know, all good things must end, right? But I also, in another universe, wish that it could just be like this all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, we could just create like a creative string playing compound. Yeah. <laughs> we could all just have our own living quarters and like yeah. come together and whatever. A runway in, in the backyard. Yeah, Straight yeah. up. Things can fly, yeah, in. Yeah. fly in and fly out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We could, we could and hire. go about playing gigs and stuff in different places and come back and keep practicing, keep yeah. learning, and then go out, fly out for the next gig. Totally. Have a shuttles. And to, yeah, it's can well, be done. If uh, any of you out there are investors and you want to realize this idea, yes, or have give planes. us a call. <laughs> yes, planes. <laughs> and can build runways. Yeah. And, uh, runways, power generators. We need bus listening. drivers. Yes, yes. We need chefs. We need chefs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and great musicians. Yes. Please, just come through. Yes. Come on down. So good. Um, Neil, do you have any final questions that you want to ask? I don't have final okay. questions. I want to do one more thing that's kind of new in this episode, and I have no idea how to land, but do you have any questions for us? Oh, man. Uh, what are some things that you wish your students could do consistently that could sort of breed these, um, the atmosphere of being a, more in touch with being a creative or a more in touch with how they want to pursue music. Just some yeah. You know, because for me, you know, every Suzuki teacher has a slightly different take on what it is to be a Suzuki teacher. Mm -hmm. For me, it really, the primary concern really is character development. Mm -hmm. That's what's there for me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, I would love to see my kids consistently being intentional about their stuff. Yeah. You know, like, you're coming to me, your parents are investing in lessons, mm -hmm. you know, this takes time and energy and 
it's, you know, where we have a relationship that we're investing in as well. You know, like if this is important to you the way that you say it is, I want to see you take it on intentionally, mm -hmm. you know, um, the thing that I've been sharing with my students lately is that they are not their circumstances. Mm -hmm. There are always going to be things happening. And actually, as you level up in life, those things come at you like with greater and greater challenge mm -hmm. consistently, you know? So like just saying what it is you want and having the resolve to do it. And then like coming through for yourself, mm -hmm. like showing up for yourself, putting in the work for yourself. And when that happens, it's like, you become someone you had no idea you could be. And mm -hmm. it's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I I wish my students spent a consistent amount of time really thinking about who they want to become and then taking the steps necessary to get them to that place. Yeah. Mm. I think that's the answer. Because that applies to pretty much everything. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I think my answer is connected to yours. Sure. Learn from others. Learn from, Learn others. from others. I love when Jordan came in last week. Cool. Keep listening to his stuff. Like, oh, I, I'm playing this piece right now. Great. Like, what can you pick up from the recordings that you're, that you're learning of it? Yeah. If you have a song that you really like, listen to more that's related to that. Mm -hmm. If you like your teacher then who are the teachers that your teacher likes and where are they teaching that you could visit and do something? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a Suzuki camp or something local or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Learn from others. I like that. That is great. Mm -hmm. Two things that I for sure need to continue to do. Mm. Character building, learning from others. And you can do both at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, they both help. Yeah. It's a rich way to live your life. It is. You know, beyond like accumulation of wealth, it's just, oh man, to, to learn from other people's experiences and mistakes and, and successes, you know, I mean, that's huge mm -hmm. to be in a spot where you actually have room to hear what other people are saying. That's a great light. Yeah. Real. Yeah. And still know who you are. So it's not just like being <laughs> blindly led by whatever's out here. You exactly. Know? So. Not being fooled by thinking that you have to, that you know everything, you know? Yes. Genuine. That's exactly it. Having a genuine understanding that we are all, that I can learn from other people. I think maybe in our culture, at least how I was raised, you know, we know that we're not alone. We know that it takes a community to do things, but do we genuinely tap into these things or are we just like, mm, I kind of could learn from something else, but am I, am I good enough if I can't do it by myself? You know, which is why, I mean, I think it's a great thing that you guys bring people. That's amazing to actually, that's yeah, one of our favorite, favorite big things that we started doing last year. Yeah. Just calling on other teachers to come in and, and show our students oh, more than what we can do alone. It's it's such a magical thing, tapping into community. Yeah. Like, to accumulate all the skills and knowledge and experiences that you and Georgia and Chris and Neil all have. Yeah. It would take me four extra lifetimes. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Why would I put that on myself? Not that I'm not wanting to learn new things. Exactly. But it's like we have all these unique and wonderful people who can contribute something. Yeah. And that's something I've been passionate about a really long time. Is like, you know, I don't know if you've heard stories about young musicians coming up where the teacher is very possessive over them. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, you know, like beyond just the nature of being possessive about stuff, you know, it's like... There's, there's beauty and value in getting a diverse education, you know? And so that saying of, like, many hands make light work, like, ah, for a student to be exposed to, you know, rather than just me, like, we co-teach our group classes by design. Mm -hmm. So they get access to two teachers, 
two minds who have two different sets of giftings. Mm-hmm. Multiply that by two. Now bring in Georgia and Jordan, you know, like That's who exponential. are two completely different individuals on their own as well, yeah. you know, but like now they've had a multitude of experiences in a really short period of time, Yeah, you know, and so, and then that creates value for our clients. Like being with Miss Samson means that I get to be Access with lots to. of people, you know, yeah. it's a good thing yeah. for everyone. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that you think that's cool. I hope that our I hope that our students think that's cool too. I know they do. Yeah. I know they do. Yeah. Judging by by the reaction every yeah. time we have someone come in and do this. Yeah. Beyond cool, but like valuable. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I can't thank you enough for being here. It's yeah. It's such yeah. a blast. No, um, likewise. Yeah, <laughs> like personally it has made a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. No, awesome. this is great. This is great. So Um, For all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this was an interview with our our friend Jordan Hamilton, cellist, currently based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Welcome to the jungle. Definitely definitely make sure to follow his stuff. We'll include links below. And uh, you all go out into the world and have an amazing day. Take care. Build character. Learn from others. <laughs> like that. It's a tiny Love, peace, gratitude, forgiveness. Build yes. Character. Love, peace, gratitude, Learn forgiveness. Love, peace, gratitude, forgiveness. Yeah, man. Hey, everybody. It's Neil and Rachel. Hello. We want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to leave us a rating on iTunes and let people know what you think. We welcome your feedback, and thanks for your generosity. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye.